Hello and welcome back to Seaweed Brain. I'm using a podcast voice, a Percy Jackson podcast where we talk about Persebeth and currently we're talking about the son of Neptune and guess what? Today is all about Frank. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. <laughs> Let's start this week how we always start every week. How you? How's it going, Carter? <laughs> um, poorly, but we're here. We're still alive. <laughs> I feel that. No, I feel that for sure. And today, we are welcoming back our absolute favorite person, Alexandra Yam. You may remember her from season one. You may remember her from our fan cast, where I specifically requested that she portray Talia in the upcoming Disney Plus series. <laughs> Alex, hello. How's it going? Hey. Ever since I listened to you mention that I should be Talia, I've just been fantasizing that in my head. Like, I fully believe it now to a point where I'm just waiting for a Disney executive to call me up personally and be like, <laughs> hi, can you read for this part? But also, like, one of those readings, it's like, you already have it, but we're just going to have you walk mm. through it for formality's sake. So in my head, only. I'm already, like, in the mind of, how am I going to portray a tree and all of those like, you know, experience that I have from like middle school plays of being that tree in the background. Like, I feel like I have years and years of experience building up for this moment. So Alex, when, when were you, were you a tree in, in the background? Carter was in a middle school play more than you were. Okay. Oh I God. meant that in like the metaphorical <laughs> play that we are all in because, you know, the world sure. of... <laughs> All, all the world's a stage. I've felt like I've been that tree for so long. <laughs> all the world's a stage and it's men and women merely players. Cool. Well, Alex, again, tell me where, like, what country are you in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm in Canada. Uh, I currently live in Canada, just like Frank. Yeah. Yes, so let's <laughs> tell the people how we tokenized our friend Alex, who <laughs> happens to live in Canada and happens to be of Chinese descent, to come on this show <laughs> and talk with us about our favorite Chinese-Canadian, Frank. I do want to acknowledge that we literally did ask <laughs> Alex to be here. Frank is not is neither of our favorite Chinese-Canadian. Alex is our favorite Chinese-Canadian. <laughs> but yes, I do want to acknowledge, Alex, that you are not just Chinese-Canadian. You are many other things. Um, like a shapeshifter and somebody whose life depends on a burning log. Yeah. <laughs> so feel free to incorporate all your identities into this conversation. Oh, definitely. No. You talk about his archery? <laughs> yeah, that is definitely one. But what you guys don't know is I've been playing the long con for this for so long. Of just in 2011 when this came out, I was like, my friends are going to one day do a podcast <laughs> about this. I'm going to make sure I go to university yep. in Canada. I'm going to really start getting into Jasmine's sense. And perfume of the jasmine variety. Is that where so, we dive in? We're gonna have to talk Let's about talk that. about the jasmine scents, <laughs> if you will. So we, we've talked a little bit about about some characters who are of Asian descent in the books before. Ethan Nakamura, we had lots of feelings about. Drew Tanaka, we had lots of feelings about. And now we're onto Frank, though. Frank is the first one to like level up main character, like extensive family history and backstory, and. And and he made some choices, so Rick did, about <laughs> the family smelling like jasmine. <laughs> the family house, the grandmother, items everywhere. in the house. It all smells like jasmine. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a very safe environment for Frank to grow up in, considering the fact that they're burning incense all the time, and he has, like, a piece of firewood that is linked to his life. Like, they were playing with fire. Yeah. Oh... Well, actually, well, do we want to do this little conversation pre before we get into the jasmine smelling? We should do that sure. now. Okay. Um, all three of us felt like it was important to bring this up on our episode. So we're recording this about a week and a half before it's going to drop. But there is something going on in... I literally feel like I'm sitting some, <laughs> like someone's in trouble. Like, <laughs> there is something going on that we need to talk about. But for real, though, there is something going on in the online fandom of Percy Jackson, which... 
um, we have been more or less like not aware of as like people who are older and also um, have only really been present online. <laughs> well, we were present online in like 2010 and then we took a break yep. and now we're back. But we know that lots of content creators within like the Percy Jackson fandom have been like taking breaks or like fully exiting the internet. Artists are no longer drawing Percy Jackson characters. People are no longer writing extra content and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Pages that we really love have like made statements about this recently. So we just feel like it's important to talk about. There are two different things, in my opinion, that are being encompassed in this quote unquote toxicity yeah. that everyone is talking about. And one of them is that there is supremely intense cyberbullying um, that people are taking out on artists, some of whom are younger than us. Yeah. Actually, many of whom are probably younger than yeah, us. Yeah, we're not um, that young death anymore. Threats. You know, we're old. Um, even a friend of ours who hosts a podcast has gotten death threats before from people for voicing opinions on these characters. And then also some people are genuinely reaching out to many artists and saying, hey, like the way that you're drawing this character, predominantly like a BIPOC character is like inappropriate, maybe whitewashing, maybe like colorist, any of these kinds of things. And there are these two things that are like different, but tied together that are playing into this bigger issue of quote unquote the toxicity in the fandom and we just wanted to talk about it because we are people who technically <laughs> put out content related to Percy Jackson and feel strongly that nobody should be receiving death threats but that also we should be having important yeah. conversations it's like both things happen at the same time I, I think that like given the fact that all of us are like undergrads in ostensibly like liberal arts institution I think there are a lot of good conversations and a lot of good norms modeled specifically in like non-classroom spaces on college campuses where people have thought a lot about like what it looks like to like reduce harms and like hold people accountable share your experiences like not you know like not minimize anything ever anyone's going through and like fully acknowledge whenever you say something or present something in a way that you know is negatively impactful to other people without ever taking a punitive mindset on and without ever feeling the need to the, the idea that like that that there needs to be a form of retribution in order for people to learn or for conditions to improve just seems wrong we just want to reiterate that i think that like you can have good conversations about this and we yeah. all need to have good conversations about these things without, you know, hurting each other. Like the goal here, I think, is always like harm reduction. It's about everybody having a good time, recognizing that like that is both like a simple and complicated proposition. Yeah. That being said, there's also a difference between like non-punitive conversations and yeah. like, tone policing. So there's no need to like, you know, make yourself yeah. sound Yes. polite or something like that if something is really bothering you and personally offending you also there's people who are really young who are on the yes. internet these days that's the hard part is that like lots of people on all sides of this are really young and it's just there's not a good answer for that i feel like i don't know being young is hard um. <laughs> yeah just always keeping in mind that there's this issue this like umbrella term of toxic toxicity yeah. going on um has multiple issues yeah. within it and we're not ever going to downplay the fact that artists, even young artists, need to constantly hold themselves accountable and be open to listening yeah. um, about things like drawing characters and, and representing characters. Um, and at the same time, like always being decent, especially yeah. online, because every time you send a message to somebody, that's still a person. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it is a bot, I mean, it's fine. Treat the bot like a human. Maybe one day when the robots take over the world, yes. you'll be on the good list. Yeah. You know, like, let's let's keep our non-human family in mind, as my um, transhumanist <laughs> professor last semester would say. <laughs> and that's kind of all we have to say on that. Maybe we'll have more to say in the future. Anyway, uh, we felt it was important to talk about that just because it's going on, but also because we're about to have a very critical conversation about a character who is somewhat very beloved and we don't want to get any um this. <laughs> and we also want to be clear that like it's okay to critique something and also care deeply about it right just like carter was saying yeah. about like all of us being in liberal arts institutions like i think we've learned our lesson that you can love something and desperately need to change yeah. it um it's a both and interpretation not an either or of something that being said <laughs> should we all give the <laughs> words that we feel about frank oh yeah i have i can go first because i've actually written this down um my three words were literary panda express. Oh, <laughs> dang! My mine is not going to be. I as saw good that as in that. the notes, and I, was, I cackled. It's very good. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, Frank is just one big helping of orange chicken and like soggy rice, in my opinion. Oh my! Soggy rice specifically oh, with like the peas. frozen peas. Yes. <laughs> oh, I hate how people put peas in fried rice. I think that's genuinely disgusting. Frustrating unrealistic mm, man 
Frustrating and realistic, Matt. I think that's where I'm going to leave it. That's pretty good. Confusingly militaristic stereotype. I like there that. There we go. That's what I'm going with. Shall we dive in on the on the family side of things then? That seems like a good place to start. Let's do it. Alex, do you want to do you want to start us off? <laughs> okay. I personally think I've always had this history of whenever there's like a new Asian representation or a show in mm-hmm. town, whatever. Yeah. I'm very skeptical. Yeah. Because I get very uncomfortable when Asian people, specifically Chinese people, are portrayed in a specific way. Mm-hmm. And I think that this whole conversation needs to be prefaced on the fact that this came out in 2011. And mm-hmm. it's really important to keep in mind what kind of representation we were seeing in 2011. I don't know. Yeah. I, I had a hard time thinking of stuff, frankly, beyond like Kung Fu Panda and um, Jack Black. <laughs> there was like a weird, I mean, like people, I think like a lot of like, like scholars of like minority um, participation in media have noted that like, the first decade of like this century was in particular like a dry spell for like non-white people um in tv and film in general and that like you know applies to like this weird decade where basically like all the family sitcoms were white um after in the 90s there being a lot of like other versions of that and like obviously like more recently there also being more interesting things and like yeah i think we said like the only two asian actors that we noted of like Western prominence at the time would be like Lucy Liu and Jackie Chan. Yeah. And like no Just shame very Lucy Liu I love, but um... with the cameos of like Brenda Song yes. um, and other small characters and TV shows we watched yeah. as kids. But in 2011, something else that also came out and concurrently to this book was um, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother by Amy Tra. Um, Amy, yeah, Amy Tra. And I think I always assumed that that book came out first and then Son of Neptune, but I actually looked it up and then like they came out around the same time. So I was just thinking like, Man, that's a weird year for representation for like Asian family dynamics because there's such a like this white Western idea of what Chinese family dynamics are like. And so much of it is so uncomfortable to me because it's always so rooted in this very authoritarian parenting style of like parents are strict, they're cold, they're not loving, they're like harsh and like really weirdly harsh and like in ways that don't make sense to me as like a kid who grew up with Asian parents. Mm -hmm. So I think they showed a lot of that with specifically Frank's grandmother. She's so strict and like also mean in a way that doesn't make sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who may not, who may need a quick brush up on the son of Neptune, Frank's backstory, we we get these chapter flashbacks from his perspective where he talks about how his mother passed away in combat as one of the first, the first Chinese Canadian woman to Afghanistan. Go to war in Afghanistan. Yes, so that was his backstory. Which I like because people don't talk about enough how militaristic and awful Canada is. They just focus (laughs) on the good things. But hey, Canada is just as bad as the States. Well, okay. Maybe not just as bad, but like there's a lot of bad to go around. (laughs) Frank ends up living for a while with just his grandmother, who is this fascinating um, stereotypical portrayal of like an older Asian woman um, in his life. And his father is Aries slash Mars, predominantly yeah. Mars, who has a very different role in Roman culture than he does in Greek mm-hmm. culture. I'm not sure if Rick intended for us to like him more um, as I Mars. I certainly yes. don't. Rick, really? Like, if you, like, <laughs> the way that he writes Mars in this book is basically not that different, like, slightly less hot headed. But what is more irritating to me is the fact that, like, in like the third person narration that they give Frank, you see Frank being, like, proved wrong about how Mars actually kind of cares about him for doing, like, the bare minimum. Like, Mars gives him, like, the spear. Yeah. And then it is said that Mars visits the grandma a few times as she is dying by herself of cancer. And we hear these things and we're like, wow, that's parenting. That's mentorship excellence. That is what care looks like. (laughs) It is two points of contact one of which is not even directly with the kid um during this book and that proves to frank that he was wrong to despise mars i'm doing lots of air quotes here that are obviously not translating to this (laughs) non-visual medium but um (laughs) erica will put it in in post i'm sure (laughs) i can can cut in some quotation mark sounds yeah okay (laughs) yeah so that's like a really weird thing about like I, i don't think it was a good portrayal of like Chinese culture because there's also a very important distinction that needs to be made better in media of there is Chinese American or Chinese Canadian and mm-hmm. then there's Chinese yeah. and these two things are very separate yeah. very different there's often that broad generalization but the first thing is his grandmother is so weird and mean to Frank 
yeah. of just like in a way that like doesn't make sense but right. also culturally it doesn't really make sense because usually Chinese people favor sons especially if they're the eldest of their like the little king in the family they get everything they want they're really spoiled and Frank's the only kid and he's treated like absolute like dog shit <laughs> like he's he's just kind of I don't know they make fun of him for being clumsy and just kind of like she's very patronizing and you know, just mean to him. And mm-hmm. I think what Rick was trying to do is this very stereotypical tiger mother yeah. approach to parenting where Western people yeah. see a lot of Asian parenting, specifically Chinese, as they're always very harsh to their kid. Mm-hmm. And I think it's most emblematic in like the Chinese mom who makes their kid play piano. Yeah. And, like it's standing behind them, making sure they play every single note correctly. They do every single recital they place at every single competition yeah. and they go on to win states and nationals and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like this cold mother who never congratulates you, never shows that she's proud of you in any sort of way. And I think that's a very Western perspective to yeah. a certain, to, to a certain extent, accurate. But <laughs> I think what Western, <laughs> uh, yeah. what Western people don't see is that all of this training, it's training really, it's discipline that you're yeah. teaching your kid to be a disciplined mm-hmm. individual and it's for yeah. a purpose. It's for growth. And mm-hmm. it's for making sure that they go on in the world and do good things. Yeah. Now, emotional mm-hmm. burden and trauma aside, yeah. it is a form of parenting that works <laughs> for some cultures and for some kids, too, that um, it's not all bad. But oftentimes, that's all you really see in Western portrayal, just that really mean side. But what you don't see is how Asian parents express like love. And it's not in ways like how we see in western culture of like they'll sit you down and be like champ i'm i'm proud of you for doing real good at this not champ at the sports (laughs) day today son i don't know i don't know how white parents talk um (laughs) instead i think that's it sunny boy yeah (laughs) yeah they show you love by like bringing you fruit when you're like the cut fruit the bowl of cut fruit it's the food (laughs) yeah it's the tapioca it really is it's the driving you everywhere all the time you up Because they don't trust you in cars. Yeah, and like I've been living away from my parents for the past couple of years, but my mom every once in a while still brings like a huge like basket full of food that she's made for me Aww. and like snacks that she knows that <laughs> so I emotional. like. And oh. I think that was such a huge missed opportunity with this character. And I'm angry because it could have been so much more. Yeah. And mm. it's like, for instance, the biggest missed opportunity for me was when Frank's grandmother was dying. Mm-hmm. And he woke up and there was like food on the table. When I read that, I was like, oh my God, she made him food. Yeah. And then he asked her like, did you make me food? And she's like, no, you fucking idiot. Basil made it. I'm like, that's, that's incorrect. That like, that is not how that would have happened. Yeah. Because we all know those Asian mothers who will drag themselves yes. out of their deathbed to make you food. Because yeah. food is love. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. Where like, there's this line where like, you know, it's not that the harshness is a lie. It's that, like, the harshness is, like, not... It's, like, they're not literally, like, bullying children. <laughs> like, the idea is that there's, like, a point to it where, like, they will say things that, like, are scarring, but it's because they think that by saying them, they can change something about you that'll make you better, yeah. right? And that you don't see that in Frank's grandma. She's just, like, mean. She's just rude to him in a way that does not seem to have any goals, endpoints, like, theory of change, wrong or right. Like, yeah. it doesn't seem to be there in her thinking. I agree. Yeah, it's not like she was trying to make him more confident in like a weird roundabout way that Chinese parents. We should maybe that's a good place to pivot to the mom. Where I think that like my my guess as to Rick's internal monologue as he was writing this is like, well, it's okay if I make the dragon lady tiger mother caricature as extreme as possible in the grandma because then I will counterbalance it with one other Asian maternal figure, Frank's mom, who we will literally never meet and never hear from. She will be a dead martyr of sacrificed Asian woman dying for a greater Western cause perfection. Um, <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah. And like, she will also be like, like perfect. Like there are no character flaws about her. Maybe we read it through like Frank being like, you know, like I need to memorialize her in this good way because she is gone. But th- there's like, basically she's written as like a perfect, ultimately giving person who like, doesn't have even like her own goals within herself. She just has duties to western hegemony and to like the afghanistan war waged by um various uh, western countries and also like to frank and she doesn't seem to like exist outside of those like basically external forces to which she is wholly giving herself 
in a way that is also yeah. pretty gross and lazy. And does yeah, not, it's, excuse, it's two tropes does not make no tropes, Rick. That's not how <laughs> that works. Two tropes does not make a no trope. That's so funny. That connected with this like weird portrayal of Mars, which we are supposed to like, like more than Aries, and also the militaristic aspects of Camp Jupiter, which we have like touched upon, but not fully dove into yet. Um, it's all just so strange in these books, because I'm not really sure like what the perspective is on it. Like, are we supposed to admire Camp Jupiter for being really, you know, by the books, super specific? Are we supposed to think that Mars is good in giving Frank a copy of The Art of War? Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> that also, let's pause on that. Terrible. Oh. Literally dumb. It's so lazy. <laughs> is that the one Asian book that you could have thought of? Mars could have given him a copy of Bamulan, and honestly, <laughs> yes. I would have taken better. that this slightly interesting. over Art of War. I think, like, Frank's mom is so disappointing just in, like, the context of, like, Sally Jackson and how that is a really cool and a very realistic maternal figure. And then you have Frank's mom, who is literally, like, you know, in all those movies when, like, the dead wife is dead and they have, like, all those little, like, Polaroids or little, like, um, Super 8 camera footage of just her. She's laughing all the time. Anyways, completely misses the nuance of all cultural dynamics. And he also does the same thing with, with Leo's mom, where she's written the same way, like, martyr, gone, perfect, without, like, fleshing out on that in any way, especially because, like, the Afghanistan war veteran thing is something that really, I'm assuming we're all on basically the same page about the Afghanistan war in that, like, we need to stop. <laughs> we need to, like, it, like I, I feel like there's room for a really interesting story about Frank being like, you know, like, maybe my mother was not perfect. Because that is, like, a normal part of growing up that a lot of the characters here kind of don't deal with. They either have monster parents or they have golden, perfect parents. And there's a lot of room for nuance there. Like, Fran could be like, you know, like, she was a really nice person, but also, like, maybe she died in vain and she died doing something that was bad. And, like, that's kind of a rough place for me to be in. And how do I think about that as a child of the son of war? You know, like, Frank seems to have this moment in the beginning to where he's not, he doesn't at all think about that part of his mother's legacy. But he is like, I don't want it to be Mars. Like, I hate that. He's icky, but we know, like that isn't like joined with the idea of Mars as like father of a brutal conquering military empire, and like the notion of like then like you know a hatred of Mars being connected to a hatred of like masculinity and militarism that doesn't seem to actually manifest itself in Frank very strongly mm-hmm. or very thoughtfully maybe yeah or at least even having that conflict with him would be more interesting than you know the shitty fried rice character that he is. Yeah. A lot of this, so a lot of this also comes to Pat. Oh my God, what are Roman numerals? 34, I think. <laughs> chapter 34 <laughs> of this book. Um, a lot of this comes to pass. This is the chapter where Frank's grandma dies, where Mars comes to visit him. We could go sentence by sentence through this entire chapter and talk about how many weird things happen, but I just want to highlight a couple of them. One of them is this conversation about their hometown being Li Jian, which then, of course, yeah. um, is trans into legion which (laughs) i don't know is that what is okay um i have no idea what he was trying to go for there it just really sounds like erasure of like chinese culture almost yeah wait okay let's let's pause and like dive into this whole thing we're like the superpower that frank has comes it comes from china but of course (laughs) it doesn't actually come from china you really thought that China had magic or cool things akin to the real people, like the Greeks and the Romans? Well, you were wrong. Because clearly the magic from China is actually magic from Greece that just got there um, through the Silk Road. <laughs> this is my current, like, maybe this is where I am. And, like, this is my least favorite trope. It's weird to me that it's even a trope because it seems like such a specific thing that surely not that many people could be doing it. But the idea that like the mysticism and the heroism of Asia is actually still somehow a white person is like back out there. Everywhere. Matt Damon in the wall. Matt was Damon that? in that wall movie. What the fuck was going on? And it's coming out more, I think, largely because of like the Chinese film market and people being like, well, we still need to have a white person star, but like we need to like get this movie stuck in there so that we can make the big bucks and like the Chinese cinemas. But like the result is just like that. It's like the Tom Cruise last summer, I think. It's, do you remember, wait, do you remember Rick Riordan also wrote this other book series before Kane Chronicles and the other things that was written by lots of different authors about how it's this one like, like Renaissance era European family that is responsible for all the greatness in the entire world and like all the good people are their descendants. It's called 39 Clues. Do you remember this? 39 Clues? No. no. 
they had these little cards at the beginning of every book, and they were more <gasps> like murder mysteries. Yeah, Wait, yeah, like, he, like each they were book trying to about... assemble all thirty nine clues, and if you get all of them, you get like the elixir of life or something, right? I didn't know that he wrote part of those. He wrote the first one. He got it started. Oh um, wow! And that's one where like there are like lots of really irritating, stupid subplots in it. Uh, it was not a good book series. <laughs> but also, Rick Riordan is associated with this other work that uh, posited basically that Toyotomi Hideyoshi was actually white. And that's why he was able to unify Japan because he was secretly white the whole time. <laughs> I need to go back and reread these books because that feels like something that deserves some time and focus. That needs to be your spinoff podcast. <laughs> it's so wild. They said that they said like all of like black music in America is also because they're actually descendants of these like white people from the Renaissance. Oh my, oh my god. god. Well, yeah, that's that's just interesting because I understand Rick probably did that because he was trying to keep this whole flame of Western civilization, like, canonically for the world building, that's where the power comes from, right? So mm-hmm. then how did Western civilization get to China? Okay, whatever, Silk Road. But there are so many moments in this book where other religions are brought into play. Yeah. Like, the Buddhism and the Taoist um, yes. symbols that are all over Frank's yes. house. There's that weird trip to Iris's co-op store where we talk about other forms yes. of religion. So why could we not have, like, incorporated acknowledging that Frank is part of two different cultures and that maybe he does get magic from two different places? I don't know. That sounds like a lot of research that Rick would have to do. (laughs) Or, like, the alternate route for this for me is just saying, like, maybe Mars gave him a power or something. Like, I just feel like there are so many ways you can do this without saying, like, you know, like, magic in China secretly comes from Greece or some version of that. No one needs that. No one asked for that. Literally, like, not to be whatever, but, like, China, like, predates Greece as a civilization. Like, it's just not. It's also weird of, like, I don't know how much you guys, like, picked up on this, but the fact of, like, it's something that's, like, passed through generation by generation. And, like, Mm -hmm. if we go through, I think the biggest one is, like, the big incident, I think, that occurred in San Francisco. Yes. The earthquake. And his um, ancestor got blamed for it. Yeah. That was weird. Just because... If you look at the historical context of yeah. that, that must have happened around the time of, like, I don't know what it's called in the, in the States, but, like, the Immigration Act of, like, Chinese Exclusion. Chinese Exclusion Act of 1886 would have been in place yeah. at that point. Yep. <laughs> and just kind of this general, like, racism against Chinese people and stuff like that. And they never address it. Right. It's also interesting because on page 371... Frank, like, is thinking about this and about, like, his ancestor, who's talking about Mm -hmm. this, his grandmother, is talking about this ancestor, and she says, and he was unpopular because he was Chinese. A Chinese boy had never before been claimed Roman blood. An ugly truth, but there's no denying it. He was falsely accused and forced out in shame. So if he didn't do anything wrong, why did you tell me to apologize for him? Grandmother's cheeks flushed. Because apologizing for something you didn't do is better than dying for it. I wasn't sure if the camp would hold you to blame. I did not know if the prejudice of the Romans had been eased. Frank swallowed down his breakfast. He'd been teased in school and on the street sometimes, but not that much, and never at Camp Jupiter. Nobody at camp, not once, had made fun of him for being Asian. Nobody cared about that. They only made fun of him because he was clumsy and slow. He couldn't imagine what it had been like for his great-grandfather, accused of destroying the entire camp, drummed drummed out of the Legion for something he didn't do. So that moment is interesting to me because Rick specifically chooses to say, like, Frank has never been bullied at Camp Jupiter or, like, has never even felt, like, marginalized yeah. at Camp Jupiter because of his race. I don't think try. that he needed to, like, make a big point about Frank being, like, ostracized. I'm sure that Rick would have felt weird about writing about somebody struggling with their race in that way because he has no framework for that. But also it's just a weird moment because it just doesn't seem yeah. realistic. We, we, he gives us the stuff, like, in literally the previous book and in this book as well about, like, how the American Civil War was associated with these different sides. On top exactly. of just the whole Western civilization of it all, like, it just does not add up. There are no racists there. Like, come on. You think <laughs> like, Octavian just... isn't racist? Octavian is literally white supremacy. Yeah. This whole thing is about his, like, pure bloodline at Camp yeah. Jupiter. And it's also weird just how Frank has written to deal with those, I don't know, growing up between cultures. Because he, I think, like, somewhere in the book, he's like, doesn't identify with Chinese culture at all. But, like, they're walking through his grandmother's house, and there's, like, a passage somewhere about, like, seeing all these antiques, and they're clearly, like, a very important part of their history, like, either their family history, yeah. but he doesn't engage with that at all. Like, he's he keeps himself very separate from, like, Chinese culture, I think, to a point where, like, he admits he doesn't even speak Chinese. Yeah. 
which that really does sum up the Chinese American Canadian experience for a lot of people. But at the same time, like, I'm kind of tired of seeing that representation of just the Chinese American Canadian kid who doesn't like the fact that they're Chinese. That like self-assimilation. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I think there's like a little bit more layering to it than that. Like, I, th- I think that it is true that like we're really awash in these stories of people who like have like internalized racism, and like most of the story is like watching them work through that. Yeah, I, I do feel like Frank is like someone who's like very like <laughs> like his family immigrated to Canada a long time ago, so I feel like and that level attracts me that he wouldn't speak Chinese or like at least like would not have it spoken to him at home. But that brings up another question for me, which is like we talked a little bit about the history. His family's been there for a long time. So one of the things that does not add up to me is that, first of all, it seems like his family, like his last name is Zhang. I believe they mentioned Mandarin in some occasions. That does not track for me because I think if you look at the historical record, if his family was in Canada for a long time, number one, like it's, there are some questions about the dating and like exclusion acts that like don't totally add up for me. But also there's the other question of like, I feel like based on the history and the demography, like they should be speaking Cantonese and like their last name should be like Chung or something like that right <laughs> like um, yeah um historically speaking there were more Cantonese immigrants earlier yeah like, like um, I'd say like the first wave was a lot of like in the 80s and like 70s that was like another wave of like a well, maybe not the first wave but like the, the second or third wave of like yeah more Cantonese um mm. immigrants and then only more recently have there been more people from like mainland China but at the same time like I kind of read his family as like you know one of those old rich money families so I, in my mind like it kind of makes sense that they like came earlier just because that's kind of the demographic of people who are able to come to Canada first yeah there are two other two other things I'd like to point up in this chapter one of them is this moment where Morris um is talking with Frank um this is page 358 the god shook his head you'd prefer if it wasn't me as your father yes Frank confessed Morris shrugged can't blame you Nobody welcomes war, not if they're smart, but war finds everyone, sooner or later. It's inevitable. <laughs> Are we to, like, take this as the guiding, like, moral that Rick is imparting to us about war? Because that just feels off base with, like, the original series to me, as far as, like, avoiding violence and, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to make of that. That part really stressed me out. Yeah, the militarism in the book, it's, it's leveled up. From previous books. We talked a little bit about the, like, the tenor of the series being darker, partially because they're all older, but like it's definitely there. And like, even if you don't take Mars at face value and like you read that and like as a reader or like, well, I don't think I'm supposed to like Mars, like let's shop around for what else is out there. Like there's still such, I think the fatalist sentiment of it and like the idea that like the Romans are like a whole and legitimate organization and that that organization is built fully around the prospect of war, unlike Camp Athlod, is like something that is hard to read in a different way other than saying like yes war is very important and something that we should always be thinking about all the time as something that right because frank happen. does you know frank does frank does reply to that and says like that's stupid like war isn't inevitable it kills people and mars just basically is like yeah it killed your mom so is that why you hate war um and then this kind of gets dropped there and then just a couple pages later we get this i don't even want to qualify it before i read it mars is continuing to talk to frank He says, self-pity isn't helpful, kid. It isn't worthy of you. Even without the family gift, your mom gave you your most important traits. Bravery, loyalty, brains. Now you've got to decide to use them. In the morning, listen to your grandmother, take her advice. You can still free Thanatos and save camp. And leave my grandmother behind to die. Life is only precious because it ends, kid. Take it from a god. You mortals don't know how lucky you are. Yeah, Frank muttered, real lucky. Mars laughed, a harsh metallic sound. Your mom used to tell me this Chinese proverb. Oh my god. Eat bitter, taste sweet, Frank said. I hate that proverb. But it's true. What do they call it these days? No pain, no gain? Same concept. You do the easy thing, the appealing thing, the peaceful thing. Mostly it turns out sour in the end. But if you take the hard path, ah, that's how you reap the sweet rewards. Duty, sacrifice, they mean something. Your mom used to tell me a Chinese proverb. <laughs> Literally, no, she did not. <laughs> okay, so this is the part where I feel conflicted. Because my mom does this shit to me. Of like, she'll like say a thing and be like, do you know what that means? So maybe, but what I have like more of a problem is, is like, fine, sure, throw in a Chinese proverb, you know, where, wherever you can find it in your little dictionary book of 
Chinese phrases, I whatever. But I think something that bothered me along the same lines of that is like all the little like grasshopper shit, like, oh, you, my little clumsy ox, you, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just like, oh, young grasshopper, that kind of language, just gross. For me, it's less the incorporation of the proverb and it's more the proverb itself and the way that Mars then interprets it to Frank, which is literally, he says, you cannot do the peaceful thing. Yeah. The only way to reap the most rewards is to do the violent thing and to sacrifice And then violence yourself. is the same as sacrifice and then violence is the same thing as like the hard, more like meaningful way of doing something. It's it like it's written in a way, I think, that you know like obviously like we we're like college educated people like it's easy for us as like elderlies to sit around here and be like well <laughs> let's take this apart but you know like the first time we read this we were like in middle school and that was a time where if you read that you might be like oh interesting i think sacrifice is important is he making points when of course he's not it's garbage also it talking about noble suffering like you're t- telling me like middle school high yeah. school that was the biggest freaking thing we were like we have to suffer or we're not alive. Yeah. Historical context, 2011, that was the top age of like Tumblr, like maybe it's good for me to feel depressed energy. And it just doesn't- Carter and Erica's Facebook page, depression is just a side, side effect, effect of, of dying. dying. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. I get what you mean. I'm just like, it, it's glorifying and making something seem ancient and mysterious that yeah. we all think violence is good at the end of the day, if it justifies some level of peace. And- that's a weird way to frame Chinese culture. Yes. That's also okay. another thing. The Chinese character and their whole family being incredibly militaristic. Let's name it. That's racist. That's a trope. Okay. That's not good. I'm so sorry. I have to jump in there. But that's like my family background. I was like, <laughs> I was reading this. No, I'm not kidding. Because I came to college. I meant my boyfriend and we were talking about like my family and like oh my grandfather has a wikipedia page do you have you learned about him in school and so he pulled it up and was just like alex your grandfather was a war criminal and he did a lot of really messed up things um but then again you know um crimes against humanity are really defined by the winning side and i guess if he won maybe he would have been a hero but um so this I kind of speaks to my who's your grandfather? Um I don't know. If you guys want to link it to the um <laughs> your show notes, I'll, I'll put send it in you. Show description. <laughs> <laughs> what is his name? Not as um, Alex's grandfather. I'll, I'll put it in the chat. Um this is on my dad's <laughs> side. Um so apparently in the twenties he robbed the treasury with some of his <gasps> friends. Um wait, whose treasury? Like what country? The Chinese treasury. So uh-huh. yeah, so in terms of him, he did some, you know, might have collaborated with the Japanese at certain points and switched sides when it was convenient for him. During the Second Sino-Japanese War. And uh-huh. um, so this aspect that Rick was writing about felt very real to me, of just this <laughs> ability to go back and because of your family documents trace back um, to generations and dynasties of where your family came from. Damn. But then it's one of those things where it's like both simultaneously true that like, of course there are like, like there are yeah. strains of militarism in Asia. Like no one's denying that. Like there were lots of very bad wars where people did a lot of very terrible things in Asia recently, like in living memory. But also like, is that if you have like one Chinese character and particularly like one Asian character who's in this like main crew, why? Why did you make that choice? I feel like it's like one of those things that's not random. Where clearly he was like, this is like a real narrative that they're trying to elevate. Mm-hmm. Of course, with these questions, it always goes back to the thing of like, it's a problem of scarcity. Like this conversation only has to happen because there just are not that many other characters where we can point at them and be like, ah, yeah, yes, right. this is another family that came and immigrated to America pre-exclusion act. But of course, they were like most of the families that immigrated pre-exclusion act, and they were like low-income farmers from southeastern China. Not criminals on that the were run. Not war criminals. <laughs> You know, like, um, yeah, for me, it's less of a is it right or wrong that Rick made this his backstory and more from like a young reader standpoint, what mm. are we meant to interpret mm. about war yeah. from these characters and this backstory? And like, is it glorifying war and stuff like that? Yeah. I would like to finish this page real quick because there's something interesting that pops up also. Um, so continuing on 364, Frank was so disgusted he could hardly speak. This was his father. Sure, Frank understood about his mom being a hero, he understood she'd saved lives and been really brave, but she'd left him alone, that wasn't fair, it wasn't right. I'll be going, Mars promised, but first, you said you were weak, that's not true. 
You want to know why Juno spared you, Frank? Why that piece of wood didn't burn yet? It's because you've got a role to play. You think you're not as good as the other Romans. You think Percy Jackson is better than you. He is, Frank grumbled. He battled you and won. Marsh shrugged. Maybe, maybe so. But every hero has a fatal flaw. Percy Jackson, he's too loyal to his friends. He can't give them up, not for anything. He was told that years ago. And someday soon, he's going to face a sacrifice he can't make. Without you, Frank, without your sense of duty, he's going to fail. The whole war will go sideways, and Gaia will destroy our world. Frank shook his head. He couldn't hear this. War is duty, Mars continued. The only real choice is whether you accept it and what you fight for. So <laughs> there's a lot of things in there. The main one for me that I like aggressively highlighted is... I'm sorry, are we to believe Frank is more important than Percy Jackson? <laughs> because no. I think, I think that's, that's like a good follow-up conversation to have. <laughs> I, I mostly got stuck on um, on uh, war is duty <laughs> because it's not. And like, obviously that's coming from the war god. Yeah. And Frank like isn't accepting that at face value by any means. But like, for me, the this is just a weird writing. He specifically says that like, Percy's fatal flaw is being loyal to his friends, but you are like a man of sacrifice. But that doesn't make sense because Percy's whole thing is that he will sacrifice himself in order to be loyal to his friends. I actually take his point on this. I think he's right. Really? Um, like, it doesn't, obviously, it doesn't come to pass, which is a little uncomfortable. Like, Percy is, in the end, able to make the sacrifice um, in sort of, like, defiance of his personal loyalty that, like, allows the quest to succeed, which we will get to in the next book. Right. But, like, the, the philosophical idea of, like, sacrifice isn't just about, like, literally risking your own life. It's about saying, like, someone you care about might need to die so that, like, a thousand people can live. And, like, just being able to swallow mm. that. And I think that, like, that, that's, like, always what they said about Percy's personal flaw. That makes is that, sense. Like, he, like, Athena, like, the way she phrased it was better and more clarifying, where she said, like... Right. Uh, so she, what did she say? Like, to save a friend, you might let the world burn, or something to that effect. Right. You're right. So Percy is short-sighted and, like, yes. would save... He would he would have a panic attack during the trolley problem. He would jump himself onto the tracks, and it wouldn't work. <laughs> right. Versus Frank is being told in this moment that his destiny is to make the wise choice and sacrifice a small number of people to save yeah. the larger number. Okay, I guess that makes sense. I think it's a good philosophical perspective. I do, like, not to keep harping on this, but I kind of, it would be interesting if more characters had this viewpoint besides besides the Asian one. But that's, you know. Right. It's a, anyway. And speaking of not to keep harping on this, um, is Frank Hoppe? <laughs> I was just about to ask you. It sure as heck sounds like a Mars is not Asian. Even though um, he does explain Chinese proverbs to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> that to me yeah. feels like Frank is therefore mixed race, which then to me would pose a way more interesting relationship between him and his grandma, which then I would I would interpret his grandmother's emotions toward him differently if he were blatantly not fully Chinese. Yeah. Would have been yeah. good, but he didn't. But we just don't know. Yeah. I we I'm not sure where we're coming from there. Um Maybe that's a good yeah. place to pivot to the Percy Jackson person of it all and just talk about his power-up, his journey, Frank's, like, yes. literally, um, how would you say, like, his, his, like, stat card? Character sheet. Sure. <laughs> Character sheet and an arc. Starting with, like, the Percy comparison. Like, do we, do we think it's, like, a compelling device? Because it's not just that conversation. Like, it does keep coming up where, where his whole thing is, like, oh, I'm not a real hero. Like, I'm too clumsy to, like, lead the people of New Rome, like, uh, da, 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 I'm a, I'm a wee side character next to this experienced veteran. How will I ever feel like I'm the protagonist of my own story? I could go on. <laughs> Does this resonate with, with y'all? I, I really very much read it as like imposter syndrome that like I feel every day and, you know, where I am mm -hmm. in my life. And I don't know, for that bit, like I kind of saw it as relatable yeah. of just like, yeah, you're an Asian man who doesn't usually fit the casting of a leading mm -hmm. man. Of course, you're going to yeah. feel yeah. out of place especially in 2011. Right. I like his, I like the imposter syndrome. I mean, I mentioned this last week's episode that it would have been cool to have Frank leading the Lost Hero quest, you know, if we had switched that around because just because having Percy in this book does make it feel like Frank isn't the leader, yeah. you know, it's hard for us to like see him in that position and it doesn't yes, land. I agree 100%. I think that's the issue is that like, it like the imposter syndrome arc doesn't work if it turns out that you're right, you know, like then it's really bad if you can't yeah. follow through. Oh no. 
Okay, that's what I was saying about the earlier quote. Like, Percy is still <laughs> the king. Sorry. Like, <laughs> there's no way around it, Frank. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because um, Rick has spent years developing yeah. Percy and, like, forming this connection yes. with the fan base. Of course, we're not going to just look at Frank and be like, oh, he's leading this class. I don't think there are a lot of moments where we actually see Frank, like, making a leadership position. He pulls them out of the bog, and that's kind of his big moment. Yeah, but he took too long to do it. Like, Rick, I think, like, comes back to this and gets more invested in this idea of, like, Frank as an emerging leader of Rome as we continue down through the book series. Maybe for some gendered reasons as well, but, like, I, I do agree that certainly in this book, like, it is not, the follow-through is not there. And it makes it really unsatisfying. Yeah. Even though, like, those types of stories, like, really mean, like, I, I think they, like, do hit hard. Charles Yu, who is now famous for, like, winning some big book prize that I can't remember the name of. His, like, earlier work is, like, literally just about this. Charles Yu, uh, oh, he wrote How, How to Live Safely. That's the book I'm referring to. Right. It's very that. good. Yes, it is good. Let's talk about the shape-shifting. I think it's a dumb power. I'm just gonna say it. It feels weird. <laughs> it doesn't fit with the same theme that we have with everyone else's abilities. You know what I mean? Where it's, like, it's not... It doesn't clearly connect to Poseidon or Mars in any obvious way. And it like doesn't it just feels different in nature from all the other ones. Like it's just not like if you were gonna make like a list of powers, I don't feel like you would put turning to animals in the same list as like, you know, like mind control, fire, bending, lightning bolts, raising, raising the, dead. the dead. I just feel like it's very it's just so different from them and that the justification is weird. Like at this point we had all seen Teen Titans. We know these things. Go. Go. Yeah. It just <laughs> it just doesn't feel very rooted in like myths that we know. Yes. And also there's a very stupid inconsistency that I don't like of just his mom was saying, like, yes, our ancestor fought like a swarm of bees, but it's like Frank can like turn into one no, bee. Frank, so technically it'd be like one bee. He bees, does turn into a right? swarm of bees. It's a consistency with his power, not with like the way that they tell the story. <laughs> it's just like I guess like if they're below a certain size, you become multiple of them. That's dumb. <laughs> I would love to know, like, what, like, does that count for, like, rats? Like, yeah. how big does the animal have to be? I wish we heard more specifically about the swarm of bee things, because, like, I think that the, you know, like, there are, there are, like, lots of opportunities to make that a really cool writing exercise to be, like, what is it like to be a swarm? You know, I would like to hear more about that. <laughs> I've had Andrew the day when I was a kid. You know what? I think about hive mind. Um, the most interesting part of Frank's character, we need a short story about the beehive transition. <laughs> um... Yeah. Related, okay, and I guess like the related to the powers is, of course, I think we referenced this, but the fire stick is like something the non Amazon fire stick. LOL. The Amazons <laughs> are coming in later. We've been talking about Frank for an hour and we literally have just hit upon his like life or death, like exactly. caveat thing. This is like so, so random. random. This felt like something they got added in at the last second to like give him and Leo a point. That, and I guess it like raises the stakes on the Thanatos thing where he's like willingly sacrificing himself. But you don't need a fire stick to do that. Like, they're all willingly sacrificing themselves. They could all be killed at any moment when they're trying to free Thanatos, you know? Like, yeah, like, we already feel like they're constantly risking their lives. So this didn't really add much. Yeah. To, I don't yeah. know. Maybe this is, like, a bad transition. But, Frazel? Yeah. I don't like how he just gave it to yes. her. Yes. How he it's just gave bad. her the stick. Let's, let's talk about Frazel. Okay. Hear me out, y'all. Being in the fields of Asphodel for decades does not make Hazel more mature than a 13 year old girl yeah. i'm not sure who wrote this in the doc was it alex but trauma does not mature you one more time for the people in the back trauma does not mature you like sure yes you go through something changes you but it doesn't give older men an opportunity or an excuse to then latch on to you i cannot get past the age difference of she is 13 and he is 16 that's three yeah. grades different so we're clear hazel's in middle school frank is in high school and it's not close like Frank, it, listeners, <laughs> remember what you were like in middle school. Just remember. I think like one of the most, I don't know, eye-opening experiences or talks I had with someone was like about this whole thing of like you know when an older man kind of takes advantage of like a younger girl, and um, it takes you a while to kind of realize how truly messed up that is. But when the full moment is so encapsulated by, like, when you look at a photo of yourself when you were, like, that age, and maybe you're, like, five years later, you're looking back on it now, and you realize truly how young you look and how young you were. Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. like, Hazel is a kid. She really is. Yeah. Sure, there's always, like, this thing that we go back to so much in our society of, like, girls just age mature faster. Which puts just such a horrendous amount of pressure onto 
Hazel and onto younger girls to like not only feel comfortable in this relationship with somebody who is three grades above her, but also take on this like mothering yeah. role for him. Yes. Which is just like, again, where I have to draw another hard line in the sand. It's just like, no girl, you're in eighth grade. Like <laughs> you should be having fun. You yeah. Know? That is not to say like this relationship itself is inherently bad. I'm sure you can find moments that you like or that you feel are very genuine, but it's more so that Rick is modeling a relationship that can be very problematic yeah. for real people yes. in their life. Because if you're reading this as a kid and you're using this as your framework for understanding relationships, that's very bad. Yeah. You should not be in a position where you are taking care of your boyfriend or even get an older man yeah. who relies on you emotionally yes. or expects yeah. him to take, uh, expects you to take care of him in some way. That's just wrong. Yes. And that yeah. is not okay. Yeah. And like two things. One, I don't understand why Hazel had to be 13. No reason. There's no we good reason. There's no reason. We, she, Rick could have aged her up and this would be much less of a problem. Two, I obviously don't blame Hazel at all for this. So it really like makes it hard for me to like Frank. Yeah. Because it makes me think, where is Frank coming from that he thinks this is okay? Because, you know, Frank and Percy are the same age, yes. right? And we were just talking about how Percy is like Mr. Percy. Percy is a camp counselor <laughs> age. He is Mr. Percy. He is the TA. You know, he's taking care of them. It's Mr. Percy. It should be Mr. Frank. But because Frank has this complex about his imposter syndrome and like being a clumsy guy who just can't, oh, shucks, get anything right. Yes. And then here comes along this one girl, the one girl who thinks he's cool. Yes. And he latches on to that. And that's not okay for me. Yes. <laughs> Talk about the context of Calypso. Where it's the same thing of like a man being like, oh, I've always felt like I'm not special, but you make me feel special. And why? Because she doesn't know better because she's younger and doesn't have like other points of comparison in her life or the benefit of like years of maturing and hindsight and like life experience to help her understand that like your problems are not her fault. It's very, it's just, it's very bad. Yeah. She doesn't need to take care of Frank. No. She has her own trauma that she she's has working so through. so many things she needs to figure out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then, like, Frank acts like a complete, absolute pissy little shit later in the next book about the whole Leo thing. Yes. Oh, my God. He absolutely And that does. just makes me more comfortable because he's so possessive. Yeah. It's just, like, I mean, we, we're coming at this, you know, when I first read this, I really did not take any note of it. I really did not care at all about the two of them. But, you know, reading it back with, like, being in our 20s, like, it just seems like red flag city like, yeah. yes. as someone in my 20s like I, it's like this thing that you need to learn that like just because someone is there for you or there in your life doesn't mean that they should be there in your life that is literally his biggest contribution to her like when she is trying to yeah. like, process her trauma by like reliving all of the worst things that have ever happened to her by literally passing out and re-experiencing it <laughs> that is his giant contribution is that he literally is just next to her and like it's not that that's never enough it's not that it doesn't mean something to have people like with you experiencing things with you but the idea that that is kind of intimacy and that like level of shared experience is enough to ground a relationship seems misguided yeah and it's just the whole thing of like she was there reliving the whole thing like he was seeing it from her perspective and then he was just like by the way here's my burden please take yes that his immediately response was like okay now that i have sat here for this do work for me like undertake labor on my behalf i would love to ask you guys like in terms of like a comparison because i know that first of all they have that shared trauma and that kind of i guess maybe you could compare it to frank and hazel but it's written in very different ways and i'd love to get your opinion on it i know because that's kind of what i'm thinking about this whole like just because they're there doesn't mean you have to be together thing yeah. but the thing i guess what sets purse about the side is that they had other options and they chose each other yeah. like they just felt such an instant connection to one another like percy says i believe it's in mark of athena the week without annabeth in titan's curse was the worst week of his life <laughs> and he's been through so much like they just have this like soulmate connection thing that i don't know maybe only exists in books but it just feels like it's sold to me so hard and yeah the fact that annabeth goes through all this trauma with luke in the first book and then kind of figures that out somewhat you know and then is able to have this relationship with percy means something to me yeah i I'm like even like on a more superficial level like it, they have banter like they do seem to like really understand each other in a way where it's not just like we've shared experience like there are some moments where they're literally like oh do you remember this yeah that was a time that we almost died together but like it goes beyond that to like the level of just like like when they're not talking about those things they just have like a rapport 
that is better and stronger and like not something that they just have with all the other people they know and not something that like Frank and Hazel are going to have in this book or in my opinion and like any of the subsequent ones. I mean, yeah, because Annabeth does take care of Percy, but it's not in this way of like she's filling a maternal void the way that Hazel does because Frank has no maternal caring figures. Here's it's the just thing. Hazel. Percy has a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with yes. his mom. That's and that important. makes everything different. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, no. Changes everything. oh no. Oh no. Oh no. It's true though. It's true though. It's true. Yeah, no, I don't take <laughs> it back. It's true. This is something that I know you've written in the notes, Alex, and I just want to make sure that we iterate it because I think we all feel pretty strongly about this, which is just that they don't all have to be couples. You can have a book yes. or a movie or anything. At any point, you can end and be like, this part of the story is done and not everyone is in a relationship. That's you, very yeah. okay. You can have lots of very fulfilling interactions between people who could theoretically, on the basis of their you know, gender identities and sexual orientations be attracted to each other and they just don't. Like and they don't even consider it sometimes. They can just be friends and we can have quests where people are going and most of them are just friends. I would argue that that's the better way to do it if I were trying to be responsible and assembling a group of people who are teenagers going, like, spending 24-7 together to try and save the world and also responsible for their own, like, emotional well-being. I would really strongly prefer that almost all of them are in no relationships with each other. I have no interest in being in any relationships with each other because that is cleaner. Yeah, absolutely. I think the reference that you gave, Alex, was Miyazaki films. Like, mm-hmm. iconically have male and female characters who don't end up in romantic relationships. Or, like, even when they're romantically interested in each other, like, they don't end with, like, them coupling up. Like, they'll be like, like, Mononoke, like, they end by literally saying, we're just not going to live in the same place. That's okay. Yeah. Of oh, just, like, that silent understanding of, like, you have helped me grow as an individual and I love and care about you, but we don't need to go hold hands and make out. And I think yes. that's so much more powerful because that's such Period. a good model of like, you can love and respect another person deeply, but you don't have to go and like be a couple. Yes. And sometimes that's like better for your relationship and mm-hmm. you learn more from it. Yeah. I agree though. Imagine how much healthier all of our lives would have been if the literature that we were consuming as kids presented more of those kinds of relationships. Period. We would have all and benefited. that's why I'm so grateful for like growing up with Hayao Miyazaki movies. All right, cool. Yeah. Anything else? I'm really looking forward to visiting Vancouver. I can take you to the park where um, Frank's grandmother lives nearby. Oh. Yeah, Lynn Canyon. Wow. I'm just now having this idea. What would happen if we went on a Percy Jackson-themed road trip? Road trip. And we, like, vlogged about it? (laughs) That would be really cool. Pretty iconic, I think. But, like, okay, but the thing is, like, most of, we were just talking about this, and, like, most of the Percy Jackson routes are bad because they're across the long, boring middle. <laughs> we could do Sea of Monsters, or we could do Son of Neptune. Son of Neptune, inspired. the two vertical journeys. Son of Neptune would be fun because we could do Pacific Northwest. No, we could also um, do, I would be down to do Last Olympian. I think that's the real one. Just wander around in circles. Wander the around State Building. Central Park. <laughs> and Touch every single town. statue. Run to Dylan's candy bar and back. That'd be fun. We were just talking on the Discord server about how we should all meet up in New York City, all the Percy Jackson podcasters, and book one-way tickets to down the Long Island Railroad and just stop off everywhere and search for Camp Half-Blood and vlog about it. I do like the idea that it's completely all a podcast and no one brings a GoPro, so it's just three hours of audio audio content. (laughs) (laughs) Of a really shit soundscape. Yes. All right. Well, yeah. Actually, can I do a short little ad spot for you guys? The plug. Yes. yes. Alex, yeah. we have to promote. Hi, I'm Alex, a licensed psychology undergraduate student. Does your existential anguish about the impending apocalypse prevent you from making an effort in your close relationships? Well, you can make a difference by going to your podcasting friend's website and buying their merchandise. With just four simple payments of $15, you too can show your friends that you still care about them, even though you haven't seen them since graduation, have made no effort to go see them in their undergraduate um, university cities. Alex, is th- <laughs> were you somebody who bought a bunch of shit on our Yeah, I just bought account? a hoodie like an hour before this. <laughs> no way! That's so powerful. I'll make like $4 off of that. That Which, took such a oh, turn. I really thought that was going to be like you, like giving doing an ad for like no, therapy, yeah, that like was the that concept was a bit or that something. I was to go for, but yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Also, that though. 
I don't know. Go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Not with <laughs> me. <laughs> Not with me. We say staring at our own Zoom boxes into our own eyes. Go to therapy. Well, thank you for that, Alex. Um, you're very sweet. Uh, we love you very much. <laughs> thank you so much for diving into this conversation with us. Um, I learned some stuff tonight. I appreciate everyone who's still listening. Next week, we are going to be talking about Madame Hazel. See you guys then. Thank you.